Book eighteen, chapters twelve through twenty two of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider. www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo. Book eighteen. Chapter twelve. During this period, that is, from Israel's exodus from Egypt down to the death of Joshua, the son of Nun, through whom that people received the land of promise, rituals were instituted to the false gods by the kings of Greece, which by stated celebration recalled the memory of the flood, and of men's deliverance from it, and of that troublous life they then led in migrating to and fro between the heights and the plains. For even the Luperci, when they ascend and descend the sacred path, are said to represent the men who sought the mountain summits because of the inundation of water, and returned to the lowlands on its subsidence. In those times Dionysus, who was also called Father Liber, and was esteemed a god after death, is said to have shown the vine to his host in Attica. Then the musical games were instituted for the Delphic Apollo to appease his anger, through which they thought the regions of Greece were afflicted with barrenness, because they had not defended his temple, which Danaeus burnt when he invaded those lands, for they were warned by his oracle to institute these games. But King Erichthonius first instituted games to him at Attica, and not to him only, but also to Minerva, in which games the olive was given as the prize to the victors, because they relate that Minerva was the discoverer of that fruit, as Liber was of the grape. In those years Europa is alleged to have been carried off by Xanthus, king of Crete, to whom we find some give another name, and to have borne him Radamanthus, Sarpedon, and Minos, who are more commonly reported to have been the sons of Jupiter by the same woman. Now those who worship such gods regard what we have said about Xanthus, king of Crete, as true history. But this about Jupiter, which the poets sing, the theatres applaud, and the people celebrate, as empty fable got up as a reason for games to appease the deities, even with the false ascription of crimes to them. In those times Hercules was held in honour entire, but that was not the same one as he whom we spoke of above. In the more secret history there are said to have been several who were called Father Liber and Hercules. This Hercules, whose great deeds are reckoned as twelve, not including the slaughter of Antaeus the African, because that affair pertains to another Hercules, is declared in their books to have burned himself on Mount Etna, because he was not able, by that strength with which he had subdued monsters, to endure the disease under which he languished. At that time the king, or rather tyrant Bucerus, who is alleged to have been the son of Neptune by Libya the daughter of Epaphus, is said to have offered up his guests in sacrifice to the gods. Now it must not be believed that Neptune committed this adultery, lest the gods should be criminated, yet such things must be ascribed to them by the poets and in the theatres that they may be pleased with them. Vulcan and Minerva are said to have been the parents of Erichthonius, king of Athens, in whose last years Joshua, the son of Nun, is found to have died. But since they will have it that Minerva is a virgin, they say that Vulcan, being disturbed in the struggle between them, poured out his seed into the earth, and on that account the man born of it received that name. For in the Greek language Eris is strife, and Chthon earth, of which two words Erichthonius is a compound. 
yet it must be admitted that the more learned disprove and disown such things concerning their gods, and declare that this fabulous belief originated in the fact that at the temple at Athens, which Vulcan and Minerva had in common, a boy who had been exposed was found wrapped up in the coils of a dragon, which signified that he would become great, and, as his parents were unknown, he was called the son of Vulcan and Minerva, because they had the temple in common. Yet that fable accounts for the origin of his name better than this history. But what does it matter to us? Let the one in books that speak the truth edify religious men, and the other in lying fables delight impure demons. Yet these religious men worship them as gods. Still, while they deny these things concerning them, they cannot clear them of all crime, because at their demand they exhibit plays in which the very things they wisely deny are basely done, and the gods are appeased by these false and base things. Now even although the play celebrates an unreal crime of the gods, yet to delight in the description of an unreal crime is a real one. CHAPTER Thirteen. After the death of Joshua, the son of Nun, the people of God had judges, in whose times they were alternately humbled by afflictions on account of their sins, and consoled by prosperity through the compassion of God. In those times were invented the fables about Triptolemus, who, at the command of Ceres, borne by winged snakes, bestowed corn on the needy lands in flying over them about that beast the minotaur which was shut up in the labyrinth from which men who entered its inextricable mazes could find no exit about the centaurs whose form was a compound of horse and man about cerberus the three-headed dog of hell about phrixus and his sister hellas who fled borne by a winged ram about the gorgon whose hair was composed of serpents and who turned those who looked on her into stone about Bellerophon, who was carried by a winged horse called Pegasus, about Amphion, who charmed and attracted the stones by the sweetness of his harp, about the artificer Daedalus and his son Icarus, who flew on wings they had fitted on, about Oedipus, who compelled a certain four-footed monster with a human face, called a sphinx, to destroy herself by casting herself headlong, having solved the riddle she was wont to propose as insoluble about Antaeus, who was the son of the earth, for which reason, on falling on the earth, he was wont to rise up stronger, whom Hercules slew, and perhaps there are others which I have forgotten. These fables, easily found in histories containing a true account of events, bring us down to the Trojan War, at which Marcus Varro has closed his second book about the race of the Roman people, and they are so skilfully invented by men as to involve no scandal to the gods. But whoever have pretended as to Jupiter's rape of Ganymede, a very beautiful boy, that King Tantalus committed the crime, and the fable ascribed it to Jupiter, or as to his impregnating Danae as a golden shower, that it means that the woman's virtue was corrupted by gold, whether these things were really done or only fabled in those days, or were really done by others and falsely ascribed to Jupiter, it is impossible to tell how much wickedness must have been taken for granted in men's hearts that they should be thought able to listen to such lies with patience. And yet they willingly accepted them, when indeed the more devotedly they worshipped Jupiter, they ought the more severely to have punished those who durst say such things of him. But they not only were not angry at those who invented these things, but were afraid that the gods would be angry at them if they did not act such fictions even in the theatres. 
In those times Latona bore Apollo, not him of whose oracle we have spoken above, as so often consulted, but him who is said, along with Hercules, to have fed the flocks of King Admetus. Yet he was so believed to be a god that very many, indeed almost all, have believed him to be the self-same Apollo. Then also Father Liber made war in India, and led in his army many women called Bacchae, who were notable not so much for valour as for fury. Some indeed write that this Liber was both conquered and bound, and some that he was slain in Persia, even telling where he was buried, and yet in his name, as that of a god, the unclean demons have instituted the sacred, or rather the sacrilegious, bacchanalia, of the outrageous vileness of which the Senate, after many years, became so much ashamed as to prohibit them in the city of Rome. Men believed that in those times Perseus and his wife Andromeda were raised into heaven after their death, so that they were not ashamed or afraid to mark out their images by constellations, and call them by their names. CHAPTER fourteen. During the same period of time arose the poets, who were also called theologues, because they made hymns about the gods. Yet about such gods, as although great men, were yet but men, or the elements of this world which the true God made, or creatures who were ordained as principalities and powers, according to the will of the Creator and their own merit. And if, among much that was vain and false, they sang anything of the one true God, yet by worshipping him, along with others who are not gods, and showing them the service that is due to him alone, they did not serve him at all rightly. And even such poets as Orpheus, Musaeus, and Linus were unable to abstain from dishonouring their gods by fables. But yet these theologues worshipped the gods, and were not worshipped as gods, although the city of the ungodly is wont, I know not how, to set Orpheus over the sacred, or rather sacrilegious, rites of hell. The wife of King Athamas, who was called Ino, and her son Melisertes, perished by throwing themselves into the sea, and were, according to popular belief, reckoned among the gods, like other men of the same times, among whom were Castor and Pollux. The Greeks indeed called her who was the mother of Melisertes Leucothea, the Latins Matuta, but both thought her a goddess. Chapter 15 During those times the kingdom of Argus came to an end, being transferred to Mycenae, from which Agamemnon came, and the kingdom of Laurentum arose, of which Picus the son of Saturn was the first king, when the woman Deborah judged the Hebrews. But it was the Spirit of God who used her as his agent, for she was also a prophetess, although her prophecy is so obscure that we could not demonstrate, without a long discussion, that it was uttered concerning Christ. Now the Laurentes already reigned in Italy, from whom the origin of the Roman people is quite evidently derived after the Greeks. Yet the kingdom of Assyria still lasted, in which Lampares was the twenty-third king, when Picus first began to reign at Laurentum. The worshippers of such gods may see what they are to think of Saturn, the father of Picus, who denied that he was a man, of whom some also have written that he himself reigned in Italy before Picus his son. And Virgil, in his well-known book, says, That race indocile, and through mountains high dispersed, he settled, and endowed with laws, and named their country Latium, because latent within their coasts he dwelt secure. Tradition says the golden age's pure began when he was king. But they regard these as poetic fancies, 
and assert that the father of Picus was Sterces, rather, and relate that being a most skilful husbandman, he discovered that the fields could be fertilized by the dung of animals, which was called Stercus from his name. Some say he was called Stercutius, but for whatever reason they chose to call him Saturn, it is yet certain that they made this Sterces or Stercutius a god for his merit in agriculture, and they likewise received into the number of these gods Picus his son, whom they affirmed to have been a famous augur and warrior. Picus begat Faunus, the second king of Laurentum, and he too is, or was, a god with them. These divine honours they gave to dead men before the Trojan War. CHAPTER Sixteen, Troy was overthrown, and its destruction was everywhere sung and made well known, even to boys, for it was signally published and spread abroad, both by its own greatness and by writers of excellent style. And this was done in the reign of Latinus, the son of Faunus, from whom the kingdom began to be called Latium instead of Laurentum. The victorious Greeks, on leaving Troy destroyed and returning to their own countries, were torn and crushed by diverse and horrible calamities. Yet even from among them they increased the number of their gods, for they made Diomede a god. They allege that his return home was prevented by a divinely imposed punishment, and they prove, not by fabulous and poetic falsehood, but by historic attestation, that his companions were turned into birds. Yet they think that even although he was made a god, he could neither restore them to the human form by his own power, nor yet obtain it from Jupiter his king, as a favour granted to a new inhabitant of heaven. They also say that his temple is in the island of Diomedia, not far from Mount Garganus in Apulia, and that these birds fly round about this temple and worship in it with such wonderful obedience that they fill their beaks with water and sprinkle it. And if Greeks, or those born of the Greek race, come there, they are not only still, but fly to meet them. But if they are foreigners, they fly up at their heads, and wound them with such severe strokes as even to kill them. For they are said to be well enough armed for these combats with their hard and large beaks. CHAPTER Seventeen. In support of this story Varro relates others no less incredible about that most famous sorceress Circe, who changed the companions of Ulysses into beasts, and about the Arcadians, who by lot swam across a certain pool, and were turned into wolves there, and lived in the deserts of that region with wild beasts like themselves. But if they never fed on human flesh for nine years, they were restored to the human form on swimming back again through the same pool. Finally, he expressly names one Demenetus, who, on tasting a boy offered up in sacrifice by the Arcadians to their god Lysias, according to their custom, was changed into a wolf, and being restored to his proper form in the tenth year, trained himself as a pugilist, and was victorious at the Olympic Games. And the same historian thinks that the epithet Lysias was applied in Arcadia to Pan and Jupiter for no other reason than this metamorphosis of men into wolves, because it was thought it could not be wrought except by a divine power. For a wolf is called in Greek Leucos, from which the name Lysias appears to be formed. He says also that the Roman Luperci were, as it were, sprung of the seed of these mysteries. Chapter 18 Perhaps our readers expect us to say something about this so great delusion wrought by the demons, and what shall we say but that men must fly out of the midst of Babylon? 
for this prophetic precept is to be understood spiritually in this sense, that by going forward in the living God, by the steps of faith which worketh by love, we must flee out of the city of this world, which is altogether a society of ungodly angels and men. Yea, the greater we see the power of the demons to be in these depths, so much the more tenaciously must we cleave to the mediator through whom we ascend from these lowest to the highest places. For if we should say these things are not to be credited, there are not wanting even now some who would affirm that they had either heard on the best authority, or even themselves experienced something of that kind. Indeed we ourselves, when in Italy, heard such things about a certain region there, where landladies of inns, imbued with these wicked arts, were said to be in the habit of giving to such travellers as they chose, or could manage, something in a piece of cheese, by which they were changed on the spot into beasts of burden, and carried whatever was necessary, and were restored to their own form when the work was done. Yet their mind did not become bestial, but remained rational and human, just as Apuleius, in the books he wrote with the title of The Golden Ass, has told, or feigned, that it happened to his own self that on taking poison he became an ass while retaining his human mind. These things are either false or so extraordinary as to be with good reason disbelieved. But it is to be most firmly believed that Almighty God can do whatever he pleases, whether in punishing or favouring, and that the demons can accomplish nothing by their natural power, for their created being is itself angelic, although made malign by their own fault, except what he may permit, whose judgments are often hidden, but never unrighteous. And indeed the demons, if they really do such things as these, on which this discussion turns, do not create real substances, but only change the appearance of things created by the true God, so as to make them seem to be what they are not. I cannot therefore believe that even the body, much less the mind, can rarely be changed into bestial forms and lineaments by any reason, art, or power of the demons. But the phantasm of a man which even in thought or dreams goes through innumerable changes may, when the man's senses are laid asleep or overpowered, be presented to the senses of others in a corporeal form in some indescribable way unknown to me, so that men's bodies themselves may lie somewhere alive in Indeed, yet with their senses locked up much more heavily and firmly than by sleep, while that phantasm, as it were embodied in the shape of some animal, may appear to the senses of others, and may even seem to the man himself to be changed, just as he may seem to himself in sleep to be so changed, and to bear burdens. And these burdens, if they are real substances, are borne by the demons, that men may be deceived by beholding at the same time the real substance of the burdens, and the simulated bodies of the beasts of burden. For a certain man called Prestantius used to tell that it had happened to his father in his own house, that he took that poison and a piece of cheese, and lay in his bed as if sleeping, yet could by no means be aroused. But he said that after a few days he, as it were, woke up and related the things he had suffered as if they had been dreams, namely, that he had been made a sumpter horse, and, along with other beasts of burden, had carried provisions for the soldiers of what is called the Rhetian Legion, because it was sent to Rhetia. And all this was found to have taken place just as he told, yet it had seemed to him to be his own dream. 
and another man declared that in his own house at night, before he slept, he saw a certain philosopher, whom he knew very well, come to him and explain to him some things in the Platonic philosophy, which he had previously declined to explain when asked. And when he had asked this philosopher why he did in his house what he had refused to do at home, he said, I did not do it, but I dreamed I had done it and thus what the one saw when sleeping was shown to the other when awake by a phantasmal image. These things have not come to us from persons we might deem unworthy of credit, but from informants we could not suppose to be deceiving us. Therefore what men say and have committed to writing about the Arcadians being often changed into wolves by the Arcadian gods, or demons rather, and what is told in song about Circe transforming the companions of Ulysses, if they were really done, may, in my opinion, have been done in the way I have said. As for Diomedes' birds, since their race is alleged to have been perpetuated by constant propagation, I believe they were not made through the metamorphosis of men, but were slyly substituted for them on their removal, just as the hind was for Iphigenia, the daughter of King Agamemnon. For juggleries of this kind could not be difficult for the demons if permitted by the judgment of God, and since that virgin was afterwards found alive, it is easy to see that a hind had been slyly substituted for her. But because the companions of Diomede were of a sudden nowhere to be seen, and afterwards could nowhere be found, being destroyed by bad avenging angels, they were believed to have been changed into those birds which were secretly brought there from other places where such birds were, and suddenly substituted for them by fraud. But that they bring water in their beaks and sprinkle it on the temple of Diomede, and that they fawn on men of Greek race and persecute aliens, is no wonderful thing to be done by the inward influence of the demons, whose interest it is to persuade men that Diomede was made a god, and thus to beguile them into worshipping many false gods to the great dishonour of the true god, and to serve dead men, who even in their lifetime did not truly live, with temples, altars, sacrifices, and priests, all which, when of the right kind, are due only to the one living and true God. Chapter 19 After the capture and destruction of Troy, Aeneas, with twenty ships laden with the Trojan relics, came into Italy, when Latinus reigned there, Menestheus in Athens, Polyphidos in Sicyon, and Tautanus in Assyria, and Abdon was judge of the Hebrews. On the death of Latinus, Aeneas reigned three years, the same kings continuing in the above-named places, except that Pelasgus was now king in Sicyon, and Samson was judge of the Hebrews, who is thought to be Hercules because of his wonderful strength. Now the Latins made Aeneas one of their gods, because at his death he was nowhere to be found. The Sabines also placed among the gods their first king, Sangus, or Sanctus, as some call him. At that time Codrus, king of Athens, exposed himself incognito to be slain by the Peloponnesian foes of that city, and so was slain. In this way, they say, he delivered his country. For the Peloponnesians had received a response from the oracle that they should overcome the Athenians only on condition that they did not slay their king. Therefore he deceived them by appearing in a poor man's dress, and provoking them by quarrelling to murder him. Whence Virgil says, or the quarrels of Codrus. And the Athenians worshipped this man as a god with sacrificial honours. 
The fourth king of the Latins was Silvius, the son of Aeneas, not by Creusa, of whom Ascanius, the third king, was born, but by Lavinia, the daughter of Latinus, and he is said to have been his posthumous child. Onius was the twenty-ninth king of Assyria, Melanthius the sixteenth of the Athenians, and Eli the priest was judge of the Hebrews, and the kingdom of Sicyon then came to an end, after lasting, it is said, for nine hundred and fifty-nine years. Chapter 20 While these kings reigned in the places mentioned, the period of the judges being ended, the kingdom of Israel next began with King Saul, when Samuel the prophet lived. At that date those Latin kings began who were surnamed Silvii, having that surname in addition to their proper name from their predecessor, that son of Aeneas, who was called Silvius, just as long afterward the successors of Caesar Augustus were surnamed Caesars. Saul being rejected so that none of his issue should reign, on his death David succeeded him in the kingdom after he had reigned forty years. Then the Athenians ceased to have kings after the death of Codrus, and began to have a magistracy to rule the republic. After David, who also reigned forty years, his son Solomon was king of Israel, who built that most noble temple of God at Jerusalem. In his time Alba was built among the Latins, from which thereafter the kings began to be styled kings not of the Latins, but of the Albans, although in the same Latium. Solomon was succeeded by his son Rehoboam, under whom that people was divided into two kingdoms, and its separate parts began to have separate kings. Chapter 21 After Aeneas, whom they deified, Latium had eleven kings, none of whom was deified. But Aventinus, who was the twelfth after Aeneas, having been laid low in war, and buried in that hill still called by his name, was added to the number of such gods as they made for themselves. Some, indeed, were unwilling to write that he was slain in battle, but said he was nowhere to be found, and that it was not from his name, but from the alighting of birds, that hill was called Aventinus. After this no god was made in Latium, except Romulus, the founder of Rome. But two kings were found between these two, the first of whom I shall describe in the Virgilian verse. Next came that Procus, glory of the Trojan race. That greatest of all kingdoms, the Assyrian, had its long duration brought to a close in his time, the time of Rome's birth drawing nigh. For the Assyrian empire was transferred to the Medes, after nearly thirteen hundred and five years, if we include the reign of Belus, who begot Ninus, and, content with a small kingdom, was the first king there. Now Procus reigned before Amulius, and Amulius had made his brother Numitor's daughter, Rhea by name, who was also called Ilia, a vestal virgin, who conceived twin sons by Mars, as they will have it, in that way honouring or excusing her adultery, adding as a proof that a she-wolf nursed the infants when exposed. For they think this kind of beast belongs to Mars, so that the she-wolf is believed to have given her teats to the infants, because she knew they were the sons of Mars her lord although there are not wanting persons who say that when the crying babes lay exposed they were first of all picked up by i know not what harlot and sucked her breasts first now harlots were called lupe she-wolves from which their vile abodes are even yet called lupinaria and that afterwards they came into the hands of the shepherd faustulus and were nursed by acca his wife 
yet what wonder is it if to rebuke the king who had cruelly ordered them to be thrown into the water god was pleased after divinely delivering them from the water to succour by means of a wild beast giving milk these infants by whom so great a city was to be founded Amulius was succeeded in the Latian kingdom by his brother Numitor, the grandfather of Romulus, and Rome was founded in the first year of this Numitor, who from that time reigned along with his grandson Romulus. Chapter 22 To be brief, the city of Rome was founded like another Babylon, and, as it were, the daughter of the former Babylon, by which God was pleased to conquer the whole world, and subdue it far and wide by bringing it into one fellowship of government and laws. For there were already powerful and brave peoples and nations trained to arms, who did not easily yield, and whose subjugation necessarily involved great danger and destruction, as well as great and horrible labor. For when the Assyrian kingdom subdued almost all Asia, although this was done by fighting, yet the wars could not be very fierce or difficult, because the nations were as yet untrained to resist, and neither so many nor so great as afterward. Forasmuch as, after that greatest and indeed universal flood, when only eight men escaped in Noah's ark, not much more than a thousand years had passed when Ninus subdued all Asia, with the exception of India. But Rome did not with the same quickness and facility wholly subdue all those nations of the east and west which we see brought under the Roman Empire, because, in its gradual increase, in whatever direction it was extended, it found them strong and warlike. At the time when Rome was founded, then, the people of Israel had been in the land of promise seven hundred and eighteen years. Of these years twenty-seven belonged to Joshua the son of Nun, and after that three hundred and twenty-nine to the period of the judges. But from the time when the kings began to reign there, three hundred and sixty-two years had passed. And at that time there was a king in Judah called Ahaz, or, as others compute, Hezekiah his successor, the best and most pious king, who it is admitted reigned in the times of Romulus. And in that part of the Hebrew nation called Israel, Hoshea had begun to reign. End of Book 18, Chapters 12-22 through 22. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas www.logoslibrary.org